biggest little company you've never heard of is a South African fintech success story called netstock.co.za. Just over a year ago, they were bought by an American private equity company. Netstock manages inventory, and it seems improbable that this clever little startup, which has been around for a good decade or more, would find its slot in a world that is suddenly facing so many COVID pandemic-related supply chain problems. But first, a word from our sponsor. And in your stock market update, investors are averaging down in a bull market up from yesterday's bear market, showing volatility in the liquidity of the hedge fund's haircut, leveraging the lows, moving the margins and short-selling the spread of share market sectors while playing footsie. Fortunately, you don't need to get the stock market to get shares in the world's biggest companies like Apple, Facebook and Coca-Cola. Download Shift, the global money app from Standard Bank and get the world. Standard Bank. It can be. Shift operates under the FSP license of Standard Bank. Hi, my name's Toby Shapshak and I like to speak to interesting people about interesting things. And one of the most interesting people I've met in many years is Barry Cuckook. He's the Chief Technology Officer of this quite remarkable business, netstock.co.za. And I've been interviewing him on and off for years and I've watched them grow from this small, plucky startup to what is now a American-based global corporation. And in fact, one of the things I've always found remarkable about Netstock is that they've never had offices. Long before work from home became the business model of COVID, Barry and his partner Tony had been running this business, distributed across the world and effectively. So first, Mazeltov, Barry, what a great, uh, what a great thing. You, you got bought. Thank you, Toby. Yeah, it's, uh, it still feels a bit unreal, to be honest. And you, uh, you've been spending a lot of time in the States working on this business. Yeah, um, you know, for probably about 20 years, I've been going to the States for the last 10, 12 years um, on business for Netstock, uh, at least once a year, twice a year sometimes. Um, and yeah, with a private equity firm in um, Texas, uh, spending some more time over there um, and just building the business we're trying to get the, the gravity of the business to be in the States, although we are a global business, as you say. Just explain how it works. I remember the first time you explained it to me, it was a TV interview, I think, for CNBC Africa. And you were saying you could save companies 10% of their inventory. Now, if you're a 10 million rand company, that's a million rand saving. That's not insubstantial. How do you do it and, and what do you do? You know, there's been a seismic shift in in business and especially in in supply chain in the last 10 to 15 years. And the thing is that lots of small and medium businesses don't even realize that this this shift has happened. And this shift has really been all about data. So if you think of the Amazons of the world and the Walmarts and so on, what do those guys have that the smaller independent guys don't have? They have literally thousands of data scientists who look at every aspect of the data and understand how to run the business better. And that shift has changed the way that consumers operate. Indeed. Right. You know, so they will rather go to Amazon and get a good recommendation and people who have already bought the stuff can tell them if it's good or bad. And, you know, if you've bought this, then you would also be interested in that and that kind of stuff. Where the smaller guys don't even realize that that has happened. Yeah. So they still operate in the old world of, let me have a bunch of stuff 
and people are loyal to my brand and they will they will buy from me well that's changed yeah in fact i've seen a poll on my broadband this morning to say you know why do you shop at your favorite retailer the smallest number of people voted for brand loyalty yeah so people vote for convenience and they vote for customer service and the way that you're going to get there is by having the right inventory at the right time in the right place yeah. for those people. That's what we help these small and medium businesses to achieve. Because they don't realize that they do have a lot of data, but they don't necessarily know what to do with that data. And they can't afford a team of data scientists to sift through that and understand. Yes. So what we try and do is provide something off the shelf that they can use that's got inventory best practices and data science baked in, which allows them to also compete in the marketplace. And in fact, that is our goal sign. We really want to help small and medium businesses also compete in the marketplace. It's a fantastic product offering. I mean, I wish Marmite had have been using you during lockdown. <laughs> there are lots of angry people who are about that. It really is, in a way, the kind of democratization of technology because previously to have those data scientists and all of that information, you would need a much bigger business, a much bigger scale, and yet you can be a small business that builds this as a service that offers it to other people, which, you know, in the last two years during COVID and and, and these horrendous economic lockdowns. I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, then the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, one poor guy and one excavator seemed to be the only person. <laughs> Tiny little excavator. <laughs> <laughs> and it just showed us that actually as amazing as the global supply chain is and that you can have just-in-time supply chain services, actually, you know, we, we still kind of... We're a very physical world. Things have yeah. got to move around. Yeah, and supply chains are actually surprisingly brittle. Even, even people like Ford you know, had to stop production in one of the UK plants for six weeks because they couldn't get computer chips. Amazing. Um, a six-week yeah. impact on a business like that because… Yeah, and this is Ford Corporation, not, not your mom and pop store down the road. So if they struggle to get it right, how, how is anyone else even… How do they stand a chance? What I really want to know is, is how, how did you do it? How did you spend 10 years working on the startup knowing that the, you know, the year after you got bought, there'd be a global lockdown and <laughs> the supply chain would suddenly become the most important thing in the world? How did you do it, Barry? Who, who, which oracle did you consult? Well, it's, you know, it's the, our dastardly plan to get it, <laughs> to do that <laughs> from the beginning. Like, as soon as we get an investment, we're just going to you know, cause a global pandemic. Um, you know, Toby, I think like many businesses that have um, thrived through this pandemic, there's a m massive element of luck involved. Yeah. You know, we could have been in the business of writing software for, you know, restaurants. Oi. Yeah, exactly. And, and we would have been out of business. Or, or you could have been writing software for bottle stores. <laughs> yeah, precisely. You know, who, who would have known? I mean, it's so, it's been such a shock to the system, right? Like, uh, I remember walking past bottle stores and thinking, whoever owns that's got it made, you know. Or yeah, and suddenly bang. it wasn't, you know, it was, it was like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we were so clever and we were so good. We happen to be in the right in industry for you know this time that we've been going through in the last two years. Um, but before that, there's been ten years of hard work and slog and building a business and and you know listening to customers and understanding what they need and 
you know, building the science in that positioned us to be there at the right time when suddenly there was a big need for, for, for supply chain. It kind of comes down to the general rules of thumb about entrepreneurship. You know, in America, the average age of a successful entrepreneur is 42. It's not related to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> known as H2G2 and the book from which this podcast draws its inspiration for our name. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating that, that, that those truisms have come true. You worked on something for 10 years, and after 10 years, you were an instant success. Yeah, yeah, overnight success. Yeah, only yeah. 10 years, right? Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, if you, uh, if you look at why are the 42-year-olds successful entrepreneurs, because they failed so many times before, yeah. you know, and learned the lessons... And that's important, I think. I think I'd like to define that as failed in a non-Silicon Valley venture capital funded way. They've like failed and it's cost them. And they've, you know, so, so I, I do appreciate this whole idea of failure is a good thing. But mm. when someone else is paying the bills and, and your mortgage or your house is not on the line, I kind of find, you know, stories of success and failure. I mean, I, I've, I've known you for a long time and I've watched what you've been through and the, you know, the tough, hard times. There's a different kind of failure in the emerging markets, I'd like to suggest, than there is when you have such, you know, rich funded Absolutely. ecosystems. And, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why there's so many startups in America. Because in America, you can go bankrupt and next month start a new business, you know. It's like, <laughs> and someone will invest in you. And someone will invest in you. Where in South Africa, you go bankrupt. You can't even open a bank account for yeah. five years or however long that is. Um, so we punish you for trying. Yeah. Where America rewards you for trying. And if you didn't get it right this time, well, try again, bro. Um, you know, until you get it right. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing that I noticed about Chinese factories, for instance. So <laughs> a couple of anecdotes told to me by a variety of people who, you know, would be mostly in the clothing business and they go to China and they'd have stuff made and, and they'd tell me stories about this guy used to make clothes, now he makes plastic crates, then he started making PPE, then he does this. So it's, it's, it's an entrepreneurship mindset and I, I hate using phrases like that, but it is a way of thinking that if this doesn't succeed, I'll do something else. Whereas very often in the West and certainly in South Africa, when people fail, they really feel destroyed and I'm useless and I'm failed in business. I mean, losing all your money is at least what happens to every business, businessman at least once, right? Absolutely. Right. Happened to me when my brother died. So, so you, you know, that's part of the process. That's why 42 is such a golden age, apart from being the answer to the ultimate question of the universe and everything, because people have been through the school of hard knocks. Yeah. And, and you know, when you, when you fail the first time or the second time, it's very easy to think that I failed, um, instead of saying the business failed and I happened to run the business or I happened to, you know, uh, own the business. And once you get to that separation of me and the business is not, I'm, I'm not my business, yeah. it becomes a bit more objective. I mean, I'm a, I'm a programmer by trade. Yes. And the same thing happened there, you know, in, when I was a young programmer and, and there was a bug or someone would point out something, I would go, oh my God, I failed. Now, I think of it as the code is not right, let's yeah. fix it. 
It's yeah. a very different mindset. And I think that just comes with maturity, you know. It, it does, actually. And in fact, it, it reminds me of a, of a really great story I read years ago about how NASA writes software code. And when the space shuttle exploded, they went back and looked at it. And it, and it is a process where nobody is at fault. No one is blamed. The system should work. The, well, it's pretty mission-critical software, you know. Absolutely. If it doesn't work, you it blow up on television. So... I, I, I like that attitude, which is, and it's very hard, isn't it? Human nature that, that if you don't feel, you know how to do something, you feel stupid, and, yeah. and actually all it is is you don't know how to do something you've never learned before. But but we've so terrified of looking stupid or being told we're stupid, or that that people don't risk it. Yeah, I wonder if that's you know to do with the school system or in, even university, where the only outcome is to pass. Yeah. Um, and if you don't pass, you're a failure and you have to stay a, a year behind and lose all your friends. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that punishment for You, you don't have to remind me. I, I famously <laughs> failed my second year and had to do it again. Yeah. I, I mean, who hasn't? Or who hasn't failed it was, first It year? was the making of me. I'd winged it for half my life. Hmm. And at one, at my, my, my lecturers very clearly said to me, we could have passed you, but you needed a lesson. Yeah. You know, yeah. and another year of university fees. But. I paid them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I think that's where that mindset comes from, that if I don't succeed first time, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Um, and that's not entrepreneurial. You know, you have to try and, and do things and, and hustle and, and get it working. And, and you probably will fail the first few times. Indeed. But listen, we're from Joburg. Joburg is a hustler city. Sitting in Stuff Studios in Bromfontein, we can see the city of Joburg beneath us, the city council. I mean, this is a city built on hustling, right? And we're proud of it. I think that's what South African business people need to do. They need to hustle a bit more, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to just happen. You're not going to have a successful business just because you had a great idea. Yeah. In fact, your idea probably means almost nothing. Yeah, that great saying, a great idea is nothing without a great business plan. Yeah, and, and execution. If you yeah. can't implement and make it happen, your idea really you know, is, is, is just a dream. You've been in the software space for a, for a long time. It's evolved in so many different ways, hasn't it? Not only has the, has the, the way people program and code changed, but the fact that, that companies can partner together the way they do. And that's been a theme in this series of podcasts that big banks like Standard Bank will, will, will partner with other service providers who are much better at providing the service than, than they are. And, and, and in the old mindset of how business was, you were, you know, a bank was a one-stop shop and they did everything themselves. The new nature of business is that you have a kind of, let's call it a hybrid model. You get this from your bank, that from your accountant, you know, this from your email hosting platform, that from your Google Analytics dashboard. It, it's become a combination of multiple service providers. And that just seems to be the future, even for small businesses where you provide the kind of data science services that previously only a big business could afford you know toby you're so right so many of the the prospects we get to that we're trying to sell our software to or our service to they start out saying but i've got an erp system and and that's great but your erp will not provide you everything that you need there are definitely spaces where the erp system is just not providing that stuff and that's one of those niches where we you know went into and that's the important thing is that we are able to connect to that ERP system, get the information out, do you know clever data science with it, and put information back um, where maybe 
20 years ago, that was not possible. Yeah. Now you have open APIs, everything's on the cloud, and you know all, all you have to have is your user giving you permission and you can connect. Yeah. You know? So absolutely, it's, it's, it's about connecting the best of breed or the best pieces that you need together to run your business. The, the old way of one, one vendor does everything, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's definitely old and out. And it gives such flexibility. I mean, I think about our small media business and how many software subscriptions we have to have. We have email hosting, we have Adobe InDesign, we have Dropbox, we have this, we have that, we have, you know, and that's just become the nature of business. Software packages you used to buy once and it would last you five years, but that's when it took five years to write you know, the new version of Microsoft Word, now it gets updated. And, you know, the combination of Word and OneDrive for me is phenomenal. I work in Word and I work in Excel. So yeah. it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And it come, you get a free terabyte when you get a license. And you can buy five for, you know, a small business. That, that, those are the kind of propositions. So then you can bolt on this from Microsoft or that from from Zoom or, yeah. you know, integrate with Google Workspace or, you know, and I work with so many different people. My team at Stuff and at Africa, they prefer Google Docs. I prefer OneDrive because my app of choice is the Word app, not a browser. If it's a browser, then it's a no-brainer. And, and I just think about how truly remarkable the differentiation of services are. You can, you know, you can, you can get an amazing world-class mail hosting software service, web hosting from so many different service providers it's, it, 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 it just takes understanding the landscape and knowing which ingredient you need for your business recipe yeah completely and, and people have choice now you know it's, it's exactly like you say some people prefer Google Docs and other prefer Microsoft and other and, and it's fine but I think the level on top of that is that it allows me to share or collaborate with someone else that's not in my business yeah just on that part that I need. So I don't have to get them like in the old days onto my network and share. And that was, that was almost impossible. Now I can share a document with you in, 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 in Google Drive and you and I can in work on that same seconds. document at the same time and see what each other, you know. And, and as a business, we do that, right? Yeah. And, and I work with, on, a, on a document with someone in America. They are seven time zones away from me <laughs> And we are collaborating in real time and, and then also having a, you know, a, a Zoom call. call. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as technology journalists have always worked from home, I've always preferred it because I can work without distractions. Mm -hmm. Along came COVID and lockdown and working from home and, and it's taken the rest of the world time to catch up to what us techies, both journalists and programmers and CTOs have been doing for years, which is... Yeah. You know, where, wherever you are is where you work. Work is not some place you go, it's something you do. It reminds me of, we used to phone the landline and you used to phone that house. Yes. Now I phone Toby. It doesn't yeah. matter if Toby's in New York. Exactly, you phone, phone that rings, person. Yeah. Right? Um, so yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Like you said in the beginning, we've been a, a remote-only business since inception. And when COVID started, people were like, oh, how are you coping with work from home? And I'm like, well, the only difference is there's now a child in the house, which, you know, yeah. she used to be in school. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, you know, it, does, it has not affected us at all. And, and we've been so used to that 
uh, mode of working that um, you know that was another advantage for us you know, during this lockdown time. Listen, everybody's working from home, even the scammers. Someone, <laughs> someone phoned my wife, some fisher, tried to get her to give the SMS for her her accounts, and she's like, "But the SMS deliberately says do not give this to anyone else." Yeah, I was at home, so she walked over and gave the phone to me, and this guy started hassling me. It was a really aggressive. <laughs> he had a whole spiel and a whole pitch, and of course, I knew it was a scam, but I just went along with it, and of in the background there was his kid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I just want to come back to this, this the bigger picture which is because so much of what is available in terms of services for business is cloud based you don't need to buy the server you don't need to put it up in your office you don't need to you know ensure it's make sure it's cool in an air condition you, you don't need a server room you, you you can buy space on the internet and then you can buy whatever component you want and plug them all together and, and have you know a, a business model and and i just think you know when i started maven media my, my first business 20 something years ago None of that was possible, though. But about the only person I could outsource anything to was was my accountant. Yeah. And now, even my accountant uses web-based software. You yeah, know, it's absolutely. We're running a business on four continents, 125 employees, and we don't. I've never touched one server that we use. It just doesn't exist. Even even the servers we use to provide the service to our customers. Yeah. It's, it's all rented. It's all yeah, in yeah. the cloud somewhere. I don't know. Who knows where they are, what they do. As long they just as provide a they service. They just provide a service. And you, and you pay so little. And you pay for what you use. And that's the difference. You know, if you had to, in the old days, go out and buy a big piece of kit, uh, yeah. 100,000 rand, you know, you better make sure you, you use that thing. Otherwise, it's a, it's a waste. Now, if I, if I buy a service and I only use it for five minutes a month, I only get build for five minutes a month it really is fantastic for small businesses i mean i am a small business that uses a lot of those those services so it's really great well i have to say fascinating as always um barry cook the cto of netstock.co a brilliant really remarkable south african fintech company the biggest little company you've never heard of um and i and i feel we're going to be losing you to the states for a few years but i'm expecting you back in a couple of years with a wealth of more knowledge and another brilliant startup. Don't disappoint me. Thank you, Toby. It's been amazing chatting with you and uh, I'll keep you posted. Great. You've been listening to T2S2. Thank you very much. Please like us and subscribe wherever you are. It really does help. My name is Toby Shapshak. Our executive producer is Sally Hudson and our director of audio is Hans Baumgarten. Thank you for listening.